Welcome to the Yale University Press Podcast. I'm Jessica Hollihan, and I'm very happy to introduce my two guests, Michael Beggs and Julie Thompson. Michael is a designer, artist, and independent scholar. Julie is an educator, curator, and independent scholar. And the two collaborated on a recent exhibition and book titled Weaving at Black Mountain College, Annie Albers, Trudy Germomprez, and Their Students. The exhibition was on view at Black Mountain College Museum and Art Center from September 29th, 2023 until January 6th, 2024. The book is, of course, available now. Michael and Julie, thank you so much for your work on this incredible history and for talking to me about it today. Thank you, Jessica. Thank you, Jessica. I suspect that many of the people listening to this episode will already be familiar with Black Mountain College, but I think we should start with a very brief description of that amazing institution to orient uh, any listeners for whom that would be helpful. Well, Black Mountain College was a liberal arts college that put the arts at the center of their curriculum. It was open from 1933 to 1957, and it was located in Black Mountain, North Carolina. There's a rich and deep history to this. Um, and I think probably the brief version is that it was founded by John Andrew Rice um, and other faculty members from Rollins College because they had an idea of what college education could be and it was different than the one for the institution that they were currently working for. Joseph Albers and Annie Albers came to the college soon after the founding, and they were critical to the arts program uh, that formed and was the heart of the college. Yeah, and I, I think it's the college's reputation as an art school rests on both the um, confluence of a lot of um, notable artists and musicians and and um, dancers and so on who, who came through the college both as permanent faculty and as visitors, people like John Cage and Merce Cunningham, uh, Willem and Elaine de Kooning, uh, R. Buckminster Fuller, um, were all there and all there at the same time in the summer of 1948, for instance. So it sort of has this outsized reputation as a as a crucible of the the coming uh, American avant-garde, and and that reputation also extends to some of the students, people like Robert Rauschenberg, uh, Ruth Asawa, um, in art, but also Arthur Penn, um, uh, and and then later in the fifties, a number of important poets um, under the leadership of Charles Olson, and um, uh, people like Michael Rumaker, Ed Dorn um, were associated with with Black Mountain College poets. So it has this whole sort of um, history, but a, a, a remarkable reputation in terms of the people who who went on to become famous artists um, uh, after their time at Black Mountain. And one thing I always like to add, um, we talk about Black Mountain College as an educational experiment. Um, I like to add that it persisted for 24 years. Um, an experiment is an experiment. Um, how long an experiment should last when it's an educational experiment, I think, is up for discussion. Um, but some people say it only lasted 24 years, and I say it persisted for 24 years. Um, if I may, I'd love to share two quotes. One is uh, about the educational kind of aim of Black Mountain College, and they said 
that their aim was to educate a student as a person and as a citizen. Um, so they were influenced by philosophies and ideas of John Dewey and Alfred North Whitehead. Um, but I love that there's this emphasis on both um, the student and the person they are, as well as the citizen they are. One other quote, and this comes from founder John Andrew Rice about Black Mountain College is, quote, our central and consistent effort is to teach method, not content, to emphasize process, not results, to invite the student to the realization that the way of handling facts and himself amid the facts is more important than the facts themselves. Thank you. Yeah, those are uh, <clears throat> enduringly important, I think. Um, and so Annie Elbers and Joseph Elbers, her husband, were German artists. They were at the Bauhaus and came to the United States with, after the Nazis forced the closure of the Bauhaus in the 1930s. How did their approach to teaching and to art influence the, the pedagogical underpinnings of Black Mountain College? Well, they were hired in part uh, it was really Joseph Albers who was hired first and, um, you know, pre preeminently to sort of run the, the art program. But Annie, um, early correspondence reveals that Annie kind of insisted on teaching leaving from the very beginning. And in the correspondence about Joseph's hiring, um, you know, he says, my wife plans to teach weaving there. But Albers was hired because the kind of teaching that he did at the Bauhaus was very different from what was normal in academic art instruction. Um, he used ordinary materials and taught his students to see them as extraordinary materials and think about them in new ways. How do we um, take a sheet of paper and that is normally flat and two-dimensional and bring it to life by folding it and making it three-dimensional. Um, and this really captured the imagination of the founders of Black Mountain College, who, again, it, it has to be emphasized, were starting a liberal arts college, not an art school, um, but saw art as vital to their mission. So they, they appreciated this um, fundamental uh, approachability of Albers's choice of materials and the sort of excitement in common materials and all of that, that, that was central to his teaching and, and to some extent as well to Annie's. Once they arrived at Black Mountain College, um, they both became really fundamental personalities to the college for the 16 years that they were there. Um, from 1933 to 1949. And they shaped the role of arts in the college, and they were responsible for the, um, for the growing reputation of the college as an arts and design school. And in our book, um, we argue that the weaving program that Annie Albers developed in reaction to her experiences as at the Bauhaus um, was really the college's design program. It was a, a long lasting program for design there, um, much more widely attended and longer lasting than 
um, programs in architecture or woodworking or some other other skills like that that sort of came and went at the college, but weaving stayed. So this um, interest in common materials that that both Albers had um, really persisted throughout their time at, at Black Mountain College. There's a really characteristic exercise that Joseph Albers did called the Matière um, with his students that involved using found materials and combining them to sort of um, create interesting interactions of, of materials and textures and so on. And, and Albers also first developed um, his color course there as well that's now famous through um, Interaction of Color, Yale University Press book, of course, um, uh, and is widely taught. And, and I, I think that there are several hallmarks of Albers's approach to color, as we see in Interaction of Color, that come completely from the Black Mountain College experience. The, he uses colored paper instead of paints. So this is a material that's accessible to anybody, to a general education audience, which is what he had at Black Mountain College. Uh, he emphasizes the interactions of colors and these sort of um, perceptual effects that make you think, um, well, uh, sort of make you think, I can't believe my own eyes. And and I, I would argue that there's a sort of uh, uh, a moral lesson to that, that it's like, if you can't believe what you're seeing, um, what else should you question about your preconceived beliefs? I think this is sort of like indicative of his approach of, of teaching art, a very highly attended subject at Black Mountain College, but within a general education context. So Annie Albers uh, began the weaving program almost immediately after she arrived at, at Black Mountain College. And it was very clear that she wanted a role as a teacher at Black Mountain in um, as opposed to many of the other sort of faculty spouses who, who took up other um, roles at the college, but not so much teaching roles. Um, the, the weaving program started very small. Um, there were just a couple of looms that were Annie's own. They had to wait for them to arrive and, and get set up. But she developed a weaving program that was really focused on teaching her students how to design, which I would say is teaching her students how to synthesize the aesthetic requirements of, of the material that they were hoping to make with the practical requirements of the material they were planning to make. And she set her students' assignments that had to do with this. What should a tablecloth be? What should it look like, but also how should it function? Should it be washable? Should it be what material should it be woven from, et cetera? And as part of that, her students did um, material studies and design exercises that sort of separated out those things. They looked at the, the qualities that materials had, um, you know, which which threads were stretchy or or uh, or not? Um, what, what are the qualities of wool? It's kind of fibrous and insulating, and and Annie would say dust repelling, um, because it it's because its fibers keep dust away from the material. Uh, other materials are 
um, smooth and, and cleanable. Um, and they, so they considered all these innate characteristics of the materials. And at the same time, they did studies that were using non-woven materials like uh, corn kernels and metal shavings and um, even the typewritten characters of typewriters to design textile appearances. Um, which which Annie later called textile orders, these sort of repetitions of forms that occur naturally in the weaving process. So they sort of were able to design using these non-loom exercises, they were able to design um, textiles that they maybe even didn't know how to construct on the loom, but they, they, they could design textiles that way. And at the same time, they were learning about the, the materials themselves. One thing that's most exciting about Michael's knowledge of both Joseph and Annie Albers's teaching, as well as their own practices, is that this is really the first book um, that has looked at Annie's teaching. Joseph's teaching has been studied extensively, or, or more extensively, let's say. Um, but Michael also is aware of the students who studied with both Joseph and Annie. And it does seem like that's the exciting future research to come of looking at the overlap of experiences that students had with both Alberses. Um, we didn't get deep into that in our book, but we definitely uh, illuminate the students who studied with Annie. And some of those did also study with Joseph as well. You write in the book about uh, weaving literacy and how, you know, weaving was taught as an activity, but it also, you know, the things that you were just talking about, Michael, found their way into the student's approach to, you know, other art making and other subjects entirely um, in a way that must have been really exciting for everybody there, both the students and the instructors. How, um, you know, within her approach to weaving, how do you feel Annie Albers understood the shifting relationships among craft, design, and art, and how she conveyed that uh, to her students at Black Mountain College? I think, I think that's a tricky question because Annie had a, I think, a complicated relationship to the word craft and to the application of the word craft to weaving. Um, I think she always called herself an artist or a designer. I, I don't want to say always, but I think she thought of herself as an artist and a designer. And I think she felt that craft was a, a pejorative term. She talks about craft as a way of thinking and a way of making that, um, that craft was a uh, handcraft is, is a process that synthesizes design and production sort of just it synthesizes the conception of of um in her case a woven material and the making of that which in the age of industrial production of textiles are have been separated there's the machine loom that does the producing and there's the textile designer who does the designing but craft so for albers craft that and hand weaving in particular the role of it was really for education and for prototyping is the way that I think she would describe it. This was a controversial um, point of view. She expressed it 
in several written articles um, for for weaving magazines, including one called The Weaver, that um, her her 1941 article, Hand Weaving Today, Textile Work at Black Mountain College, was um, controversial enough that it, it, it actually got some coverage in the next issue of The Weaver uh, and a rebuttal written by Mary Meigs Atwater, who is one of the um, uh, leading textile uh, pedagogues of the time, we would say, but of a, a more traditional um, approach to, to hand weaving. So, so I think, and as far as art goes, Albers felt that, um, both Albers felt really that art was something spiritual and special and that sort of design or handcraft objects could sort of transcend in some way and become art and um but that not everything was art or should be art either and so i so i and and i think that that annie in contrast to joseph joseph really viewed the classes that he taught as being all about rehearsal and exercise and training and that his students really never made art in his classes. If they made art, they did it on their own time um, for themselves. And he would be happy to discuss the results with them, but it was really the, their business to make art. They didn't do it for his classes. Annie was um, much more open, it seems, as a teacher to the idea that her students would create artworks in her classes. And we have more examples of, um, of woven artworks from Black Mountain in a way than we do of, say, painted artworks by students that we, as being a specific result of a class. One other answer to this question could be found in Annie's own words. We're so pleased in this book to be able to have reproduced essays by Annie and original text um, that she wrote while she was at Black Mountain College. Um, and for me, that's always important uh, to put the scholar's voice alongside the artist's voice. Um, and Michael has written beautifully about Annie and also with a new frame of mind, but I would also encourage readers to look to what Annie wrote herself uh, as part answer to this question as well. Yeah. And so she founded Weaving at Black Mountain College, but others were involved too. Trudy Germain-Prez is also in the subtitle of the book, and there were others. We uh, talk about them a little bit. Yeah, I've became fascinated with Trudy Germain-Prez's work while researching the photographers of Black Mountain College. Um, and while Truda is most known as a weaver, she was also a photographer. She made photographs. Um, but she was an amazing weaving educator. And it, I think both Michael and myself feel like she's been under-recognized for her contributions to weaving education, especially in California, but throughout the United States. Truda was an experienced textile designer working in the Netherlands. She had studied at a school in Halsall uh, called the Little Bauhaus with uh, Marguerite Wildenhain and Gerhard Marx and a few other Bauhaus folks there. So she had that kind of second generation Bauhaus education, but directly from Bauhaus scholars. Um, there she studied weaving with Bauhaus graduate Benita Otekalk, and she absorbed much of Bauhaus principles through Benita's teaching, but Benita also made the teaching her own. But like Annie, Benita was 
a big fan of Paul Clay. So um, that comes through in both Annie's and Truda's teaching and work. Truda married Paul Germain Prey in Europe, and he was also a graduate of the Bauhaus program, a direct graduate, and he was founding schools related to the Bauhaus. Uh, Truda and Paul dreamed possibly of coming to Black Mountain, but they dreamed it as coming together and teaching and working and living their creative life based on the principles of modern art at the time. Uh, two tragedies are actually what bring Truda to Black Mountain College. And unfortunately, we have to kind of get to this before we get to her legacy and impact of teaching, just because I think there's a chance she may not have ever come to Black Mountain College. But Truda comes to Black Mountain College because of two tragedies. First, her husband and the love of her life, Paul Germain Prey, was executed by the Nazis while he was fighting for the Dutch resistance in the Netherlands. And then a few years later, Truda's father, Heinrich Jalowitz, who was a music professor at Black Mountain College, dies suddenly of a heart attack. So Truda's parents had been at Black Mountain College. Her mother was Johanna Jalowitz, who taught bookbinding and voice. They'd been there since the late 30s. Truda's sister, Lisa Jalowitz Aronson, also is a student at Black Mountain. But because of all these family tragedies, it is time for Truda to reunite with her family. And Black Mountain College actually provides the key. Uh, Truda had some adult teaching experience in the Netherlands, but really Black Mountain College gives Truda Germain Prey her first opportunity to teach at the college level. And this is such an important part of Black Mountain College history. It applies for so many people, including uh, even photographer Aaron Siskind or artist Jacob Lawrence. But Truda's first opportunity to teach comes through Black Mountain College. Um, Annie is on sabbatical. Another weaver named Francisca Mayer, who we write about, who's fascinating person too, um, is covering teachings, Annie's teaching while she's on sabbatical. But so Francisca Mayer and Truda Germain Prey teach together, but then Truda teaches one semester on her own before Annie comes back. And then she and Annie teach together. So that's all to say that um, through Black Mountain College, Truda realized she could teach and she wanted to teach. And she also realized she could explain weaving clearly to students and in a way that was different than Annie's. But also she and Annie were very, I mean, I guess I'd say they held each other in high regard um, is probably the best way to say it for, without quoting sources from the archives. Um, but Truda learned about pre-Columbian textiles from Annie um, and learned so much herself. Um, at Black Mountain College, both Truda Germain Prey and Annie Albers get to explore their own personal direction for textile expression and their own work. Um, and that's a really key part of our book and the exhibition we co-curated. Um, Truda, after Black Mountain College, goes on to teach at Pond Farm, which is an amazing artistic experiment uh, that could use more research and writing for sure. After Pond Farm, Truda teaches in San Francisco briefly, but then she joins the faculty of the California College of Arts and Crafts, so better known as CCAC, today CCA. Um, but she founds the weaving program there. And uh, from the 50s through her death in 1976, she teaches there. And she teaches many, many students to weave. Um, and her most known student at CCAC is, of course, Kei Sakamachi. 
Um, and Kay was part one of the contemporary artists in our exhibition. Uh, and her essay, True to Remembered, is reproduced in this book, which was out of print. So we're so pleased to have Kay's words and experiences part of this book, too. And I think just to add one thing, I think Truda's legacy as a teacher is a tacit legacy. Annie's legacy as a teacher is really through writing. Um, and for most of her life, as she was probably better known as a writer than she was as an artist. I mean, in the last few years, her artwork has really um, become much more widely known, but it's always through her writing, um, her book uh, on weaving, and her articles uh, about design in the 1930s, 40s, and 50s um, were, were her legacy as a teacher. But Trudy wrote very little um, in any language that was published. Um, but she, she was not a writer. Um, Trudy was a teacher. And um, as Julie said, she, you know, she really... Um, taught generations of students who now have generations of students of their own. So it's a legacy that's a little bit harder to find because, because Trudy did, you know, write a couple of articles, but they were not as influential as, as Annie's. And I think that we're at a moment now in terms of the way that we do history about these kinds of things that it, it's, it's important to look at the legacies of, of teaching lineages. I think it's something that's maybe known in weaving communities. There are a lot of weavers who know, oh, I studied from somebody who studied from Trudy Guerman Prey or studied from Trudy herself. But um, that legacy is a little bit lost to art history um, and has is, and is not been given the same consideration that Annie's legacy has been given. I think there's so much more work that needs to be done about Trudeau's writing, and we're so pleased to reproduce a talk that she actually gave at Black Mountain College. It was part of the legendary pottery seminar time. Um, it was a bigger craft program, and uh, Trudeau's essay that's reproduced in our book is called Design, and it's from around 1952, but she presented it at Black Mountain College. So this is really exciting to have early writing and words and a public lecture by Truda in our book. Um, also, too, I think Truda kept a lot of private diaries, and those have not been researched to the extent they could. And Truda did publish essays. There's even a two-part essay about tapestry and tapestry history, but what tapestry could be um, in one of the period periodicals of the day, the weaving periodicals. So I think a closer look at Truda's writing um, would help us see more. But as Michael said, Truda is underknown as a weaving educator, and we hope that our book and exhibition raise her spotlight. Um, I'd love to share, if it's okay, uh, a passage that we reproduce in the book, but that Truda wrote. And this was in a later notebook, but I think it gestures towards how she was able to explain weaving clearly. Truda Germain-Prey wrote, fiber makes thread, thread are lines, weave with lines up and down, back and forth, over and under, in and out. Weaving makes materials, materials are flat areas, flat areas make forms. Well, and another way that, uh, a wonderful way that you 
convey the legacy of weaving instruction at Black Mountain Colleges through this fantastic section at the end of the book that is Q&As with contemporary weavers. And you both know so much about Black Mountain College and the history. Did that? Did the experience of assembling those Q&As, of talking to the weavers about this, um, give you any new insights that, you know, that, that hadn't occurred to you prior to that experience? Well, I think one part of my process early on that was really transformative in terms of we need to study Truda's teaching legacy was discovering that the weaver Kei Sakamachi was a student of Truda. And it was also Truda who encouraged Kay herself to teach. Um, so we didn't interview Kay for this book, but we reproduced Kay Sakamachi's essay, Truda Remembered, from the 1980s retrospective of Truda's work. Um, and so I think we're so pleased to put Kay's words about Truda in this book. Um, and there was the Craft in America Visionaries episode, which really illuminated Truda's impact as a teacher on weaving and then Kay being a student of Truda for me. In terms of putting together the list of five contemporary artists, maybe Michael, you start, and then we'll go from there. Well, I think you know there's a really big list of of artists that are have been influenced by Black Mountain College in one way or another. Whether it's a dream of someday participating in a place like Black Mountain, or it's um, an admiration for an artist or student who was there, or it's having somebody in their life as a teacher or as a friend or something who had been at Black Mountain College. A lot of people have special connections to Black Mountain. And um, one of the people that we talked to was um, Banna Hoffer, who's a, a, a composer. And she talks a lot in her interview about um, having a special connection to the place uh, of Black Mountain. And, um, you know, I think on the, on, in another case, um, Jen Bervin mentions that her wife um, studied with Lucien Markey, who had been a Black Mountain College student, who then became a, a psychology professor um, at one of the Claremont Colleges. We definitely wanted to include contemporary artists in this exhibition, and that's inspired in part by the work of the Black Mountain College Museum and Art Center, where this exhibition was presented. Um, it's a living legacy, and that's a really important part of our work, um, my work. You know, our research and writing about Black Mountain College affects our own lives, but that's also a common theme of many people. So we really wanted to make contemporary artists part of this exhibition. Uh, I think the first one that just became the clearest to us was Banna Hoffer. Uh, she is a musician who makes work with synthesizers. Today, she is calling herself a synthesist, which reminds us much of Buckminster Fuller. Um, and she is a synthesist. Banna was commissioned to compose a score uh, by the Black Mountain College Museum and Art Center. And it was performed by her as well as Third Coast percussion um, just before COVID actually. Um, but she had gotten to do a research process and make a new work inspired by the legacy of Black Mountain College. And this is available uh, through a link, um, Banna Hoffer Shed. But Banna, I think even that idea of including an artist who recently just was commissioned to make a work inspired by Black Mountain College felt 
even this immediate legacy that we're creating and living came through in the exhibition. The other four artists we included were Susie Taylor, who is a weaver based in California. And it's amazing because we actually didn't know all of her connections and teaching lineages, and those became revealed. We also included Porfirio Gutierrez, who is a Zapotec weaver um, from Mexico, but lives in both Mexico and California. And we felt that Porfirio is one of those artists who Annie would have been interested in meeting and conversing with when she was in Mexico. Um, but also Porfirio is part of the legacy of ancient Mexican weaving um, that those ideas permeated uh, Black Mountain College and Annie's own formation of the collection, the Harriet Englehart Memorial Collection. Uh, we also included Jen Bervin. Um, Jen, Michael first met Jen through a residency at the that Jen had at the Joseph and Annie Albers Foundation. But Jen is a poet and writer and um, artist who works in multi many media. Um, Jen Bervin is a multidisciplinary artist, I would say, but she's also a poet. And she had done a work in direct response to Annie's book on weaving, as well as additional work since then. Banna Hoffer's composition Shed uh, actually takes its name for part of the process of weaving. Um, when you raise the threads on a loom, uh, the space that's created is called a shed. And it's the space where you pass the shuttle and thread through. Um, so all of the passes through the shed uh, allow the fabric that's being woven to be created. Um, there's many ways and so much more that one could explore this concept of shed in Banna's work. And Banna took a deep exhalation of the concept of shed um, in creating her composition as well. Yeah, so I think that the artists that we chose, you know, they're all part of the legacy of Black Mountain College, but it's really Black Mountain College weaving, right? Um, we have Jen who's who's reacting to Annie Albers's exercises and written words. Um, Susie Taylor is a weaver herself, but um, also, uh, you know, has been deeply influenced by Annie Albers in particular, and 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 um, works in a in a way that is very structural. That really we felt closely relates to the way that Annie Albers taught weaving from a structural standpoint as well at Black Mountain College. I, I would say that the most eye-opening experience for me was our conversations with Porfirio Gutierrez um, because he's an amazing artist who really um, embodies uh, his indigenous worldview. I think this is I don't want to speak for him, but I, I think that that's the way that he would tend to talk about it. Um, he works a lot with natural materials. He does a lot of dyeing with plants um, that are within his Zapotec tradition, but he he really views himself as one weaver on a, on a, a millennia old continuum of, of weavers. Um, but he's remarkably able to kind of uh, shift back and forth between this lineage and also um, contemporary art right now. And, you know, in, in our interview with him, we ask all of the weavers how their work relates to, or all of the artists, 
how their work relates to the work of of Annie Albers and Trudy Guermanprey. And he said, well, I think her work re relates to mine. Um, and, and really the point being that um, we felt it was important the, the relationship that the Black Mountain College weavers had to pre-Columbian textiles was really a one-way relationship. They were looking at pre-Columbian textiles, but there was very little interaction with any contemporary vernacular weavers in, in Mexico. And Annie may have had some of those interactions, but it was just, again, it was just Annie having those, those interactions. We felt it was really important to um, open that up a little bit and and show the work of a contemporary weaver who also has a relationship to that legacy and that those um, pre-Columbian roots of weaving, but also comes at it from a very different perspective and from um, an, an informed and indigenous perspective as well. Um, and I, I think that the conversations with him were just really eye-opening in terms of um, learning to see the textiles that he makes and the textiles that he looks at through his eyes rather than through this through Annie Albers's eyes rather than through a kind of modernist lens where you're just looking at them as as abstract art he understands them more symbolically and it opens a whole different um, way of viewing these textiles than than what the the Black Mountain students had access to so thank you both so much for talking. I, I just wanted to mention at the end here something uh, more related to the exhibition than the book, but that um, visitors to the exhibition when it was open were given the opportunity to respond to a prompt, which was, what is the event of a thread, which is beautifully open-ended in the context of this story. You know, it, it, it gives you the chance to think about weaving as a completely conceptual thing, as a actual, you know, tactile activity, and also, you know, how you've connected the history to now and all of these people is just a really wonderful, uh, a wonderful prompt. Um, and if you just take the last couple minutes and explain where that comes from, and if there was an example of uh, an answer that an exhibition attendee gave that that you could share? So I always love to create something participatory in whatever I do. And I call this a participation. And it comes out of a phrase that is in Annie Albers's book on weaving. So she writes about the event of a thread um, within the book. And I just kind of pulled out those words because they just felt profound to me. Um, and so in the exhibition, uh, we had a question and it was letterpress, um, but it said, what is the event of a thread? And then viewers or visitors were invited to take another letterpress piece of paper um, to respond. And that paper said the event of a thread. Um, and my most, the most memorable response actually does come from Porfirio Gutierrez. Um, we asked this question of the contemporary artist too, but he said, the event of a thread is when my warp breaks. So very practical, but you know, we left this definitely open-ended so that people could answer it in a variety of ways. And I wanted to share just a few. Um, we hope to digitize or do something with these in the future to share them more broadly because the range of answers is just marvelous. 
Um, so one of my weaving teachers visited the exhibition. Her name is Ruth Howe. Uh, she's based at Heritage Weavers and Fiber Artists in Hendersonville, North Carolina. But she responded, a thread weaving through my life. And I think that's just so powerful and so beautiful, especially coming from one of my teachers. Um, another favorite was actually a drawing. And so this was the very first response to the participation in the gallery. Um, and it came from Kyle, who works with the Joseph and Annie Albers Foundation. And he drew this amazing, meandering, uh, curving line in blue ink. Um, that's just marvelous. But he was our first respondent within the Black Mountain College Museum and Arts Center. And he had spent so much time uh, looking at Annie's work before he arrived in Asheville, but also uh, installing the exhibition and doing the condition reports and, um, you know, being the caretaker and courier of Annie's works uh, for our exhibition. I think that we should um, also thank John Dancy Jones, who did the letterpress uh, printing for this um, participation, because it was um, in some ways, to some extent, a collaboration between Julie and, and John. As Julie mentions, this idea of the event of a thread um, comes from Annie's preface to On Weaving. And she is talking about how her book On Weaving is more than an instruction of how to weave. And she says, just as it is possible to go from any place to any other, so also starting from a defined and specialized field can one arrive at a realization of ever extending relationships. Thus tangential subjects come into view. The thoughts, however, can, I believe, be traced back to the event of a thread. So she's saying that we go from a thread to textiles to a book about textiles that opens out into the into a world of design and curiosity and art. But it all goes back to this um, this beginning with a thread, and I I think that that's a really wonderful metaphor for the way that we felt work weaving worked at Black Mountain College too. That it was this very specialized field that we've produced a, a rather specialized book and exhibition about, but it opens outwards into so many pieces of the college and into so many um, aspects of, of the college's history and continuing legacy. And just one more event of a thread response that I'd like to share, because I think it resonates uh, for this conversation, as well as just really gets to the heart of what Michael and I we're doing. But one response to the event of a thread was, keeps us all connected. Thank you so much, Julie and Michael. It has been wonderful to talk to you. Thank you for this conversation. Thank you for writing the book. Uh, the book is Weaving at Black Mountain College, Annie Albers, Truda Germain-Pre, and their students. It is available now wherever books are sold. Thank you for listening. And please visit us online at YaleBooks.com for more episodes of this podcast, as well as information about all of our books.